Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 290. Got a really good show lined up for you this week. We've got our warm-up segment where we're going to talk about our city of the week, player of the week, equipment tip of the week, have a very exciting did you know, a fun listener question, and of course Paige's power play. In our lead-off segment, we're going to have part one of an interview we did with our good friend Justin McLeod, and uh, going to talk about his new uh, venture into the world of coverage of softball, and, and specifically college softball. And our cleanup topic, we're going to do a little bit about umpires and something that I came across that I just thought was a really interesting thing for us to all be pondering upon. And then in our uh, action coach coaching tip of the week, Coach John's got some information he's going to share with us as well. So before we get into all those fun topics, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. And again, please make sure you take advantage of that EFP20 discount. It's a great way for you to help support the podcast and save that additional 20% at the same time. Speaking of supporting the podcast, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. It's a very simple process. We're talking about $5, 10 or $20 a month. Uh, we want to say thank you very much to all of our loyal patrons. We've got a great group of people that have been doing a nice job of keeping the uh, podcast alive for, for a long time. We've added a bunch of new people here in the last year at 18 months, but we want to keep that momentum up. Uh, we'd like to see more people who see value in what we're doing coming on board. And if, again, if you see value and you're in a position where you can help us, go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. Coach Don and I really do appreciate the support. Our warm-up segment is sponsored by Bidinger and Styles DDS. They're located in Webster, Mass. They are also longtime supporters of this podcast. If you're anywhere around Webster, Massachusetts, and you have any dental needs at all, please contact the folks at Bidinger and Styles. They'll be happy to hook you up and uh, just mention to them that you heard about their uh, uh, services on the podcast, and that would be a really cool thing. So, Don, our city of the week this week is St. Louis, Missouri. St. Louis is uh, very cool, Tori. They've, they've got a lot of uh, sports-minded people there, for sure. Yeah, well, it's a, a travel ball hotbed. It's a place I've been many, many times recruiting, uh, many, many times to play. And obviously, it's a great sports city in Just general. To go check out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one of those places that I think for a lot of us uh, that grew up in the Midwest, Going to St. Louis was a big deal, you know, the arch and, and uh, all that kind of stuff was a, a just a must-do kind of thing when, when uh, you lived close enough to it that you could get to it. Obviously, we're excited that the, the numbers have jumped in St. Louis. One of the things we talk about quite frequently is there's certain places that the numbers are always really good, and St. Louis is one of those, but when the numbers are constantly at a pretty high level and then all of a sudden we see a big jump, it reminds us that people are out there spreading the word and doing a good job of helping uh, people find out about the podcast and giving it a shot. And so that's something that we're always excited about and always want to ask our listeners to continue to do. If, you're, if you find somebody that's a fast pitch fanatic like you are, that's not listening yet, go ahead and tell them about the podcast, give them Share some information. Share with your team, yeah. Share it with everybody that you know. I'm really excited to see the numbers grow. 
Um, and, and obviously, one of the things when we first started doing the podcast, we had no idea how any of this stuff works, but to know that we're reaching thousands of people every week and that we're reaching people all around the world is something I didn't even you know, think cool. was possible. Uh, we want to see uh, see the numbers continuing to grow, and obviously it's great that, that St. Louis is a, such a hotbed of uh, softball and supporting the podcast so well. So congratulations to St. Louis, Missouri. You're the city of the week. Our player of the week this week is Mia Torres. She's from Navarre, Florida. She's a 13-year-old player. She's playing 16 and under and 14 and under. And her coach, Lael, wanted to nominate her because, again, following the uh, tradition of many of the players that we recognize, hard worker, super dedicated, and one of those kids that uh, is always, you know, staying after practice, coming early, doing all the extra stuff that she can, working out at the house and, and doing everything she can. So one of those players that uh, had for her first few opportunities to pitch um, and ended up uh, having a very successful first outing and also in the same game turned to double play at shortstop. And so obviously Fantastic, yeah. you know, a kid like Mia that's working that hard, that's uh, you know dedicating herself to the game and, and then also seeing some success on the field is a really cool thing. You know, we're very proud to honor the player of the week every week. You know, getting the pictures of uh, the kids with their player of the week t-shirts is something that always puts a smile on my face. Certainly want to be able to continue to recognize as many players as possible. And, you know, a lot of the kids that we've talked about have, you know, hit their first ever home run or, you know, thrown a no hitter or won a state championship or whatever it might be. But we're also recognizing an awful lot of kids that are hardworking, dedicated, passionate kids that just uh, need and deserve to be recognized for all their hard work. And so if you have somebody in your life that you want to nominate, it's a very easy process. You go to everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. Either one of those email addresses will work. And it doesn't have to be their whole life story. It doesn't have to be a, you know, a 10-chapter book. You know, just a couple of sentences, a couple of paragraphs, just you know, highlighting why you want them to be recognized, what uh, uh, their accomplishments are, and the things that you think are important. And again, as we said earlier, it can be something big on the field, but it can also be just hard work, dedication, commitment. It can be doing something special in the classroom, doing something special in the community. You know, there's lots of different ways to get recognized, and we want to recognize all the players that are doing good stuff. So, Tori, again, too, these kids work so hard, they do a lot. To get them nominated, it just takes that email to you, right? Right, and it's a very simple process. You know, One of the things that you know, we've talked about in the past quite often is that we kind of go on this roller coaster where we get you know a lot of nominations and we seem to dry up for a little bit. And so right now we're in a pretty good stretch. We've been getting uh, fairly consistent nominations, but we want to keep that going because, as I just mentioned, it just takes five minutes. Right. Yeah. And, and when thousands of people listen, the fact that we ever have weeks that somebody isn't nominating yeah. a player, it's always kind of disheartening. So uh, make sure you send us those nominations and we'll uh, be happy to you know, continue to recognize players all over the place. And again, congratulations, Mia Torres. You're the fast pitch prep player of the week. Don, equipment tip of the week. Let's talk about the Square Cuts training desk. So, Tori, the discs are something that we originally created to to work on hitting and, um, you know, to share a little bit more feedback with the, the kids that are hitting them as they're working on their hitting skills. But had a, a coach come in and talk about how he had uh, purchased a dozen of these, which was plenty enough for them to use in warm-ups for throwing. He had them uh, doing their regular throwing routine um, as a warm-up, but then gave them each a disc so he could walk down the line as they were throwing he would be able to see if they were getting 12 to 6 spin, if it was 1 to 7, or for some of the kids that were having a, an issue with it, uh, you know, the disc was laying down sideways. So it was a real quick indicator for him which kids he needed to, to really push to get a better spin or a better, you know, 12 to 6 
ish style spin on their throws. And after they got to where they were keeping the disc tall when they were throwing them, then I went back to the ball and um, the kids could feel uh, the similarities between the two and uh, create a little bit better spin. Right. So that was a, a nice way for them to have an alternate way to use the dish. And then they use them, of course, in their hitting drills. Right. Well, one of the things that's kind of funny when you think about it, uh, the way the disc is designed, the way you use it to see whether you're hitting it squarely is also the same basic idea you would use to make sure that when you're throwing the ball, you're throwing the ball correctly or pitching the ball with a certain spin and a certain angle uh, when you release the ball. And so we designed it as a hitting tool. I didn't even, you know, for one second think of all the different ways people were going to use it. To me, it's so exciting to know that people are thinking outside the box and using it for so many other things than what we had originally intended it to. And throwing is certainly a, a skill that you know needs to be improved and worked on. And, and it's something that, uh, you know, the fact that we've created a multifaceted tool that you can use for a lot of different things is very exciting. And so they're very easy to get. They're $49.95 a dozen. You go to the fastpitchprep.com website, click on the order button. We'll get them shipped out to you right away. That dozen discs is going to last you for a long time. They're very durable. Probably the one thing we didn't think of was we should have made them a little bit more disposable so that people would have to reorder, reorder. a little bit faster. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, the good news is it's something that I'm very proud of that I think uh, you know, serves a, a, a very valuable purpose. The only advertising we really do is here on the podcast. And so it's exciting to see that people are, are jumping on board and that the word of mouth is so positive. And again, uh, get those square cuts training discs. You order them at the fastpitchprep.com website and we'll get them sent out to you right away. So Don, did you know, really big news in the softball world, the 2028 Olympics will be having softball Fantastic. and baseball. Fantastic. That is awesome, right? Right. Now it was sort of assumed that it was going to happen with the 28 Olympics being in Los Angeles. You know, softball has unfortunately kind of fallen into this spot where if it's popular in the places where they're going to be hosting, sure. it's going to be on the agenda. And if it's not popular in places that it might have a little bit more of an uphill battle. And we're hopeful that at some point in time, it'll get back to being a Just you know, so regular, an absolutely regular, always going to be on the schedule, uh, kind of event like the you know gymnastics or, or track and field. But the good news is that it's you know official now that the, the Olympics will be happening when they play in Los Angeles. To me, you know, one of the things that we saw up close and personal when the Olympic movement first started, when softball first was added to the Olympics and the Olympics were here in Atlanta, travel ball and, and softball in general went from being a really big thing to some gigantic force. It went from being you know, really popular to something that everybody knew about and, and an awful lot of players were really aspiring to play at a higher level because they thought about the possibility of maybe being on the Olympic team someday. Sure. Every time that uh, Olympic softball happens, I think it's a great thing. Obviously, um, you know, the United States and Japan are the two top dogs when it comes to international softball, but we're also starting to see some of the other countries gain a lot of ground, and partly because there's uh, so many great American players now that they can't all be on Team USA, and for them, you know, fortunately, you know, they've got ancestry and some things like that that allow that them allow to, yeah. you know, to play for other countries. And so it'll be exciting to see, I think, you know, Canada, I think uh, Mexico and, and obviously Australia all are going to be in a position where those countries are going to be uh, contenders when we On get to, uh, yeah. to Los Angeles for the 2028 Olympics. And so hopefully we can continue to gain that momentum. But did you know it is official? The Olympics in 2028 in Los Angeles, we're going to be playing fast pitch softball. Love it. 
But on our listener question this week comes to us from Chad. Chad, Chad sent me an email a couple weeks ago. His daughter is knee deep in the recruiting process. Right. And he had several questions. The first one that I thought uh, was very interesting, and I, I did respond to Chad, uh, but I wanted us to add this to our list of topics to talk about because I think we can get a little bit more uh, in depth and, and have a discussion that could be helpful for a lot of other people. So his first question was his daughter's at that age now where she's starting to have communication and back and forth, I guess, with some college coaches is how, you know, once you're in the, at that age where you're actually able to contact coaches, once you've contacted somebody, like what's the time frame? do you think? How long should you wait? How long should you, you know, give a college coach to respond before you assume that maybe their lack of response is, is a lack of interest? An indicator, right? First, congratulations. If they're at that point in the process, they've worked hard and they've uh, done very well. So that's pretty exciting to be uh, in this situation. And I think, Tori, that in the response piece, it could be different with different schools. Right. You know, they've got a lot of, lot of irons in the fire. They've got a lot of things going on. I think it's exciting when they do respond really quickly because that definitely shows uh, a huge interest. But when we don't get an immediate response, I don't think that that necessarily means that there's no interest, right? Again, most of the time there'll be a cordial letter back saying, hey, you know, we're, we're at this point, we're not really interested or something like that. So, you know, again, I don't think that it is going to be a no response means no interest, right? Right. Well, and I think it's, a, again, as you said, it's going to be a case-by-case kind of scenario. And the one thing that uh, you know, I would tell all kids and all, all parents going through the recruiting process is there's nothing wrong with asking very specific and direct questions. I think sometimes we avoid it, and partly because just out of the fear of the fact that the answer we get back might, might not, not be, be the, the one, one we really want. want. Yeah, true. Um, but there's nothing wrong with asking how interested are you, yeah. you know, on, a, on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being a kid that you absolutely want on your team, you know, where does my daughter fall? You know, th- those kinds of questions can be a little bit uncomfortable, but I think you should be okay with asking them. And honestly, college coaches should be okay with answering them. Now, sometimes it's not as clear cut or easy for a college coach to say, you know, Don, you're number one on our list or you're number 10 on our list um, because the list is changing so often and their needs can change so quickly that uh, something that they think is absolutely true on Monday. 10 goes from 10 to two. Right. could change drastically by Friday. And so the reality of it is, uh, you know, from a Understanding where you fit in and knowing how interested a school really is. There's nothing wrong with asking direct questions. And then also kind of keeping the BS meter turned on so that you can kind of, you know, sort through Navigate it. through it. Yeah. Because one of the things that I can tell you from, you know, from experience, the most uncomfortable and, and hardest thing I ever had to do was to have that conversation with a player where you're basically telling them, you know, thanks, but no thanks. A lot of the players that you're you know, having to have that conversation with are, are very interested in your school. They really like your program. They really like you as a coach. All the other pieces are right. They've been yeah. to camps. They've been to, you know, to the campus. They've come watch your kids play. You know, they're, they're, they really are interested and, and you've created a, you know, kind of a bond and kind of a connection with them. And so player who you know well enough that you know their first name, you would recognize them if you saw them on the street or at the mall, you know, to have to tell that same player, well, you know, thanks for your interest, but you're not quite the player we're looking for is a very difficult thing. And honestly, it's something that I think some college coaches desperately avoid. You know, they, they try really hard to not have to be the dream killer. They unfortunately, I think sometimes end up in a kind of a a catch 22 where they don't want to be too harsh 
because they don't want to crush the dreams. But then because you know they don't crush the dreams, they keep a player's Kinda interest and there. hopes and, and hanging is, is exactly the, the right way to say it. And I think that that was part of Chad's question is he doesn't want his daughter hanging, wondering, waiting, hoping if, if there is no opportunity someplace. You know, to, to me, it's, it's the, the time of it is not nearly as important as the directness of the discussion. So, and again, this might be uh, part of it is that the, the college coaches are doing the same thing. They're, you know, offering or asking uh, the number one on their list, two on their list, three on their list, four on their list to see where they're at with their recruiting. And if they come and say no to you, then you've moved on. And if they work their way all the way down to where you are at their, you know, in their order, then they've kind of eliminated that too. So. Um, so they might just kind of be in a stalling pattern. Right. One, and, and, and stalling is definitely part of what's happening because you, know, you yeah. just touched on it. Why would a college coach not be able to tell you exactly where you fit? Well, it's, it, it's this never-ending balancing act. If I'm a college coach and I look at you as a player and I think you're a really good kid, but you're my number five choice at catcher. Right. Well, I don't want to push you away. push you away because you might end up being the you know the best player I I get or best opportunity I have to to fill that need. But it might be a month or six weeks of offering to number one and then getting a no, and then offering to number two and getting a no, and offering to number three and getting a no before all of a sudden I get down to number five. And sure. again, that's not the kind of thing that most college coaches want to have to tell a player. And and again, it's 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 a balancing act for the college coach because they want to keep the players that they're interested in, interested in their school, they don't want to mislead anybody on purpose, but they also want to make sure they're looking out for the best interest of their team. And so Chad's question is, is multi-layered, obviously. There's many, many facets to it. To kind of sum up the, the discussion so far, don't hold the how long it takes to get a response as the only indicator of whether somebody's interested, but also don't just be sitting by the phone waiting for it to ring or, or staring Not at the Not all computer. the eggs in one basket, right? right? But also too, Tori, as a college coach as well, you talk to a lot of other college coaches and you might know somebody that that particular player would fit perfectly with. Right. And again, if it's a kid that uh, we have a lot of respect for the hard work they put in and their skills and all those things, even if they don't fit with us, we might be very comfortable sharing their situation with another college coach. Right. So, you know, in dealing with that particular coach, let's stay close with them. And, and if they're able to help in another way, that might be good too. Right. And, and I would say that, you know, sum up this part of the discussion for, for Chad and anybody else that's in this position, ask direct questions, put the college coach's mind at ease. Hey, you're not going to hurt my feelings. If you tell me my daughter's not right. what you're looking for, or just let me know we for sure if, your if, help. You're, if you're, yeah. if you're interested, but she's not your first choice. We understand that that's possible too. You know, where does she fit in? You know, how interested are you? What kind of time frame are you on for making a decision about what players you're really going to recruit or make scholarship offers to? And, you know, you know, there's again, nothing wrong with asking direct questions as long as you're understanding that, you know, some of the answers you might get along the way aren't going to be the happy, the, the perfect ones, yeah, the happy, perfect ones that you're hoping for. So the second part of Chad's question revolved around the level of team that you're playing on, the kind of travel ball team that you're on. And, and, you know, from, from the discussion with Chad, I think that one of the things that you know, we have to keep talking about this idea because there's this growing perception that if a player doesn't play on the perfect, exactly right, you know, high level, big name travel ball team, that somehow that's the kiss of death that's going to keep them from getting recruited. And we've talked about this in many, many podcasts over the years. 
the idea that being on a specific travel ball team is going to somehow be the golden ticket to recruiting happiness is one of the biggest misunderstandings and honestly one of the biggest lies about this whole process that I think is out there. There are certain advantages to being on certain teams. That's absolutely true. And if you are lucky enough to be on the very best team in an organization, chances are your recruiting is going pretty well because you've proven to be on a really good team that's got a you know proven track record of a high level of success and high level players. But just being on a travel team with a big name or a big reputation isn't the only thing that's going to determine the likelihood that you're going to get recruited. And I think that uh, we have to you know let, let people know you can be on any team ever, anywhere, and still have a chance to get recruited by the right schools as long as you're doing all the right things. Certainly, if your goal is to play at Oklahoma or UCLA or, or you know, one of those kinds of schools, playing in the big tournaments where those schools are going to be recruiting most of the time is a easier path. You want to be on that top team right, of your a, org. It's an yeah. easier path, but... It's also not the only way to get recruited by those schools or other schools that you might be interested in. And, you know, of course, the spectrum of schools is so gigantic that there's no one thing that says, you know, all college coaches are looking for this one thing. The way that the momentum is going right now, it almost feels like there's this under, you know, growing undercurrent that the one thing that all college coaches want is for you to play on a big-name organization, and that's absolutely not true. But if you're playing on a lesser-known team, if you're playing in some slightly more obscure tournaments, if you're not necessarily going to be on the main fields in Colorado or in California, uh, where it's easy for those schools to see you, then you just got to make up your mind to work harder to convince those schools to come and see you. you it probably will include you know, doing some other things like going to their camps Being and things like camp. that. Yep, yep. Um, but if you do a really good job, you could play, you know, we, we always laugh about the fast pitch prep purple cobras, you know, kind of tying in the... Uh, dodgeball uh, analogy you know if, if we had the fast pitch prep purple cobras and it was a totally unknown team a player on that team could still get recruited by almost any school in the country if they're putting together the skills video if they're doing a good job with contacting those coaches if they're going to the camps if they're really working hard to market themselves and to convince those coaches that it's worth coming to see the purple cobras playing on the 13th field at a tournament, you know, the, the satellite field in a, in a showcase, or even, you know, a smaller tournament someplace that uh, they might not normally go to. And, you know, the, the reality of it is, is if a college coach sees the potential and sees the possibilities in a player, they're going to figure out a way to get to see them, even if it means a little bit of an extra investment in time. And of course, now the way the rules have changed College coaches have much more flexibility now to go to some of these other events. You know, back when it was 50 recruiting days and Tighter all that stuff, restrictions. You, know, yeah. you, you were less likely to use a recruiting day to go to the you know, Lions Club tournament in Watertown, Wisconsin, because it just you know, was less likely that there were going to be you know, a big pool of players there if it was the same weekend as a tournament in Colorado might, might be. They'd well, make it happen. Yeah. Now they can send their fourth assistant to. Watertown or or wherever it is, because that player has done such a good job of convincing them that it's worth their time to send somebody to see them. And you, know, you mentioned earlier, you know that the the network of college coaches is so deep. By getting that college coach to come and see you, 
it's not only opening doors for you with that program, but it's probably going to open doors with you for other programs as well, because whether they're networking with each other, or you can then contact the next coach and say, please feel free to call, you know, call coach Don at you know, XYZ university. He's come and seen me a couple of times and, you know, I'm sure he'd be happy to tell you, you know, about me as a player. No, I think that's so true. And, and so much, there is a lot of contact between those coaches and and they're friends too. They play against each right. other, not necessarily in the same conferences or anything like that. And again, we as coaches want what's best for the kids as well. And right. That's opportunities. So yeah. yeah. Well, and and you know, we talked earlier about how the most uncomfortable thing a college coach ever has to do is to be the dream killer. Well, it's also not a bad thing for it's a college a, coach to be able to say, kind "Well, of a save." Unfortunately, we're not interested, but. I've got this friend at this other school that I've talked to about you and, and, and she's really interested in getting to know more about you. You should contact coach so-and-so at, at this school. And, you know, I've also got a really good relationship with the, you know, the, these other coaches, you know, we, we talk all the time and I'd be happy to talk to them if you think you have some interest. You yeah, know, and, and we've got three second basemen and your second baseman and, right. but they just graduated their starter. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, so Chad, you know, your, your daughter's not in a bad position, not by being on a lesser known team, it's not the end of the world, but she's got to do a lot more work, um, and make sure that she's doing the right kind of work to, to get the interest of those schools. And for everybody who's out there, you know, trying to figure out how to market themselves, one uh, thing that we did uh, several years ago that's on our YouTube channel is we did a recruiting seminar and there's a segment in there about how to get recruited and the dates and the times and the rules have changed a little bit about, you know, the dates that uh, coaches can contact you and stuff like that. But the information in that video series is still spot on, on how to market yourself, how to get your your name in front of the coaches that you're interested in, the kinds of things that they want to see. All that stuff is timeless. You can go to our YouTube channel. You go to the fastpitchprep.com website, go to the YouTube channel and check out the uh, recruiting seminar. There's four segments. You know, each one kind of covers a little bit of a different piece of the whole process, but there's tons of great information in those uh, videos. And I think that would give you a lot of strategies and, and things that you could use to help make sure that you're sending the right information to the coaches at the right time. Oh, well, that's a good plan for sure, Tori. So Chad, thank you very much for reaching out to us with the question. You know, we, we talk about this all the time. You know, it's important to Coach Don and I that we get to talk about stuff that you're interested in. And so if you have questions, things that are going on in the world of softball around you that you want us to, to touch on, and we're certainly always looking for good ideas. So make sure you reach out to us. Again, same email addresses that we use uh, for the Player of the Week nominations, everything fastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. And we'll be happy to you know talk about your uh, topic and uh, send along a T-shirt to the people that contribute to the podcast. And so make sure you do that because, as I said earlier, we really do appreciate that. That's going to take us to this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, guys, it's Paige here. And tonight I wanted to share, or today, this morning, whatever time you're listening to this, I wanted to share some of the work that we um, did in a recent girl gang call. And if you don't know what that means, it's just the gr- my group uh, call that I do with the girl athletes that I work with who are in my programs. The other night we talked about and worked on building trust within ourselves. And these are the trust reps that these amazing young athletes came up with. I'm going to read them off to you. I trust my body to do what I trained it to do. I trust what my body is saying. I trust that I will remember the things I need to remember. I trust that I will do things the right way. 
I trust that God has a plan. I trust in my preparation. I trust that my failure is the roadmap to my success. I trust in my ability and knowledge in the game. I trust that I can get this done. I trust that I can succeed and do well. And I trust that I can push through and there there are great things waiting on the other side. That is what building trust muscle looks like, is these repetitions and constantly shifting our mindset to trust that good things are coming our way, that good things are happening. When we are getting those trust reps in, when we're working that those trust reps and we're thinking about them, we're talking about them, we're writing them down, that's what's going to build actual trust instead of just saying like, oh, just trust yourself, right? This is how you actually trust in yourself. I have some openings in the Competent Athlete Program, which includes group calls like the one that I'm sharing with you guys tonight and private sessions. My my program is private sessions and group work all combined in one. Please let me know. I would love to help you guys, help your family, help your daughter, help your athlete build this trust in herself so that she can go out there and be the best that she can possibly be. So go check out my program on my website, pagetons.com or reach out to me. I would love to chat, hop on a phone call, get to know you guys and see if something like this would be a great fit for her. So have a great day. I know I say it every week. I love listening to what Paige has to say. The information that she shares on the podcast is super valuable. And I can't recommend enough that we you know, check out her information, go to her website. She's got uh, a lot of great programs. And, and again, it's pagetons, T-O-N-Z dot com. That'll take us to this week's leadoff segment, Don. Our leadoff segment is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods, located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. Anything you need, they're happy to ship anywhere in the country, and they've been doing this for a really long time. They're good at it. So if you have any needs at all, uh, make sure you reach out to the folks at Elite, and uh, they'll be happy to take care of you. So I'm very excited to have part one of our interview with Justin McLeod. Justin's been on many, many times, and he's got a new venture called the Dugout Digest. We're really excited to have our good friend Justin McLeod with us again this uh, week for the podcast. And Justin's got a whole lot of news and a lot of stuff to share with us. And I uh, want to say congratulations on your new venture, the Dugout Digest. And why don't you give our listeners a little bit of the background and uh, tell us what you got going on? I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. We rolled out the Dugout Digest at the beginning of October. It's just a place where we're going to be able to cover, especially concentrate on college ball and be able to cover it the right way, wall to wall. I've talked about it in the past and been on the podcast. You know, mid majors are. My bread and butter is what I love. I've always loved, um, but it kind of gives the platform to be able to cover college ball at every level, get some really good stories out there, still do the the news coverage and things like that that people are used to seeing from me. And it's a really fun project. It's been fun already. Uh, we've only rolled it out the last last few weeks, um, and I'm really excited for the potential it's got with it in the future, too. Well, I know uh, one of the things that uh, I've always been impressed with is your um, willingness to dig into uh, the college game at all levels. I'm assuming one of the things that you're most excited about is being able to continue to do the news, but also to maybe do more uh, feature stories, maybe some more in-depth things about the the coaches, teams, things that are kind of happening behind the scenes. What are some of the things that you got in the hopper that you're working on now? 
No, you're exactly right. Um, you know, the, the the quality versus quantity debate is always there. I'm one who subscribes to the theory that you can actually have both at once. And I think that's something we're going to try to embody that I got digest. Actually, right now, I'm working on a lot of projects kind of in that middle ground between what's happened this offseason and some trends that I've seen there. For instance, the number of pitching coaches that changed this summer was more than I've ever seen in 12 years of doing this job. You know, so some different nuances and things like that. Um, and then prepping for the season, being able to look at every conference, every team and every conference on the right levels, the realignments that have happened and the underscoring what those mean for the game and for softball in general and that kind of thing. So right now I'm kind of in that fun spot of working on some things like that. And you're right, absolutely writing, hopefully, more feature stories than I ever have. Just having the freedom to do that um, is another piece that's really good because I always love telling a good story. Right. Well, I know, uh, you know, even back in the early days with uh, Justin's World, you were, I think, really the first person to be doing any kind of in-depth coverage of college softball. And so, you know, the, we, we all know that that's where your heart lies. Uh, to be able to emphasize that and, and focus on it, I'm sure something that's going to be really exciting for you. So for all of our listeners, how are they going to find you? Where, what's the new uh, secret to uh, accessing all your, all your information? So social media is all the Dugout Digest. Uh, and our website is dugoutdigestsb.com. And so you can bookmark that and everything we have will be on the site somewhere. And then, of course, on all the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, even though I'm a little Instagram dumb at the moment. That's how to find us. I guess the, the for lack of a better way to say it, it's just kind of nice to be your own boss again, isn't it? It is. And to be able to concentrate on college ball, it's really fun. Yeah, well, because I know for, uh, you know, obviously for extra innings and some of the other uh, groups out there, there's so much more volume in the travel ball world, so many more parents that want to read about their kids, so many uh, people that are willing to subscribe to different things because of uh, you know being able to you know have access to that stuff that I did feel it kind of was a little bit off your or, or out of your sweet spot, I guess, a little bit. Um, and so I'm excited to see you having a, the opportunity to, to get back into the trenches with the softball at the college level. And uh, obviously, there's all kinds of stuff going on in the softball world. It's just kind of a crazy thing to me. Before we get into uh, any of the college stuff, let's talk about the, uh, I guess, newest, most exciting news recently is the Olympics. Absolutely. You know, softball returning to the 2028 Olympics. I, I think it's something that even though a lot of people expected it because it was almost, you know, for, for golf fans like the Ryder Cup, you know, it was almost a captain's pick for the for this country hosting it. And of course, that's Los Angeles in 2028. I think it was widely expected, but still there's that there's that piece of it being final, of it being out there that I think a lot of people, it, it took it up another notch. It's a big deal. I mean, it gives young softball players and even some of the ones who, you know, maybe have joined Team USA in the last year or two and other teams, not just Team USA. It gives them the opportunity to officially have something to shoot for. It gives these national tournaments or international tournaments, I should say, you know, the World Cups and Pan Am games. It gives them a little added value because it kind of each year adds a little more of a preview of what's to come in 28. It's a huge deal. And to put softball on that stage, certainly to be here in the U.S. where it's incredibly popular, does well on TV, as we've seen, and things like that, it, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Yeah, well, to me, us old guys that were around when uh, the Olympic uh, movement first started and, uh, you know, back when uh, Atlanta and uh, quote-unquote Columbus hosted the uh, first uh, Olympic softball, 
leading into the Olympics, you know, the years previous to that travel ball and, and the game in general had been growing at a pretty, pretty fast rate. But the Olympics were the thing that like broke the dam and, and the floodwaters just came flowing after that. And I think, you know, for so many players, you know, the dream of being an Olympian, you know, for the, the, you know, the national pride and all that stuff. You know, we went from being a really big deal to a gigantic sport at all levels. You know, keeping that Olympic dream alive, I think, is something that's really important for players at all levels. You know, obviously, a very few kids actually will make the Olympic team, but knowing that that's out there and something for for players to uh, aspire to, I think, is a really important thing. The one thing I'm curious about has there been any movement towards making it a permanent addition, or is it just going to be a, uh, a Olympics by Olympics decision now? At this point, it looks like an Olympics by Olympics decision, like you say. When softball exited after or the Olympic program after 2008, I think that kind of put us in a spot of turmoil in that Olympic by Olympic. Is it going to be this time? Okay, no. How about that time? Yes. Next time, no type of deal. I don't know if and when that's going to change, to be honest with you. Right. Yeah, what's uh, crazy to me when I see some of the other sports that get considered and some of the other things that get added as a as a permanent part of the Olympic program, because I certainly can't relate to it. But then I have to remind myself that there's a lot of places in the world that uh, feel the same way about fast pitch softball that I might feel about ballroom dance or or something like that as an Olympic sport. So I try to keep that all in perspective. So. All right, so let's talk college athletics a little bit, because I'm going to tell you, my friend, this last three or four months has got me scared, nervous, worried, frightened, trepidatious, and every other word I can think of, because between NIL, the transfer portal, and realignment, I think we're not too far away from college athletics not even being something that I can I recognize compared to what I'm, I'm used to. So what's your first impression of just the, the, the impact of realignment and, and, and what that's going to mean for our sport? Well, the demise of the Pac-12 obviously now leads the way. You know, when this whole wave, this most recent wave of realignment started and really started reshaping the Power Five teams, the big money teams, however you want to refer to them. You know, yeah, it was a big deal when Oklahoma and Texas went to the SEC, and then it was a big deal when UCLA and USC, even they don't have softball, went to the Big Ten. But then this most recent wave of the Pac-12 defections, and then the rumors of other things that are still to come from a Power Five perspective, that is done so much fundamental changing. I honestly don't believe that what was a positive. I understand why it happened. I understand why certain people drove it from a financial perspective, from a TV and media perspective. Like I understand the different aspects. I don't think it's a positive though. And certainly not for sports like softball where the Pac-12, you know, has been so successful through the years. The Pac-12 has such a presence in the game. I definitely don't think it's good in that sense. But at the same time, I think the biggest thing that's going to that's going to impact is going to be you mentioned NIL, but these even the congressional hearings and the what's going to come of the student athletes. Are they going to be employees? Are they what's the NIL standard going to be? That has a chance, I believe, to even more fundamentally impact. And I think it's it's got a chance to underscore the impacts of that realignment because you're going to see these super conferences that are really going to be affected mainly in football. Obviously, that's where people are going to put their eyeballs. And when you combine these things that are going on at once from the potential for a federal NIL standard, from the question of are student athletes going to be considered employees and classified as employees at some point, then you add in the realignment and these super conferences. It's such a, 
honestly, it almost feels like a bed of quicksand at this point. It's just a matter right. of where are you going to step that's going to that's going to start dragging you down, kind of thing. Right. But I think you're exactly right. I think we're looking at some fundamental changes in college sports, period, and also in, in softball in general, and specifically. Yeah, well, to me, the thing that I keep shaking my head about, I understand how money drives the whole thing, and I understand how football drives the the train on this on this whole operation because that's you know obviously where where the vast majority of the money is invested. But even at that level, I just don't know how much interest there really is in a October fifteenth game between Wisconsin and Oregon, or a November first game between Stanford and Wake Forest. And to me, I think for the financial aspect of it, it it makes a lot of sense. But the thing that I have thought about, I heard this someplace else and it really hits home for me because I've always been a NASCAR fan. And not that long ago, NASCAR was the biggest thing going. People were fighting to get into seats. You know, every every race was packed to the to the gills, sort of like how college football has been this last couple of years with the the big schools. And then they kept changing things, tinkering with it, coming up with new ideas, thinking that this would be better for NASCAR. And all of a sudden now you know, you got to have a roadmap to find them on TV. And when you watch the, the races on TV, there's hardly anybody in the stands. So I think what the college people are, are flirting with is alienating and frustrating the, the old standby, the hardcore fans that have grown up with the sports the, the way they like it, that they might have a little bit of a rebound, a, a little bit of a, a negative reaction over time. Because like I said before, to me, you know, they're setting up a lot of things that I'm just not that interested in. And of course, from a softball perspective, the idea of Oklahoma and Florida playing a weekend series sounds like a lot of fun. But yeah, Oklahoma playing Florida on October 3rd in a football game. I mean, who really cares? And to me, I think that's the thing where, um, you know, for each specific sport, there's going to be some things about it that we love. But there's an awful lot about it that I'm really nervous about. No, absolutely. And, and I think the thing, too, when you have this many fundamental changes, across the board in a small period of time, you think about the realignment, you think about those other things that are hanging out there that are going to affect change at some point sooner rather than later. You're going, yeah, you're absolutely going to lose some people along the way. I mean, now at the same time, college football is never going to lose its the interest from people. Like people are always going to watch college football games, just like they always watch NFL games, but you certainly have the chance of, of Losing some people along the way, alienating some people along the way, honestly, just making some people not very happy along the way. Right. And I mean, you never want to do that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the fact that people are still going to watch, yeah, Wisconsin and Oregon or, you know, UCLA at Rutgers and Piscatawney really, really doesn't sound appetizing. Yeah. And then you throw in maybe you're, you're looking at those games being on a Friday kind of deal. But at the end of the day, people are still going to watch on television. Some people are going to show up in the stands and media deals are going to be out the wazoo so at the end of the day enough boxes are going to be checked that it's not going to stop the train from rolling unfortunately well the only thing that makes me a little bit nervous about the the master plan is if espn and disney were doing that well they wouldn't be firing so many people for us to be banking on those you know 50 60 80 million dollar a school deals being there forever might be a little bit of a fool's gold kind of operation. So it's it, it will be interesting. So a couple other things, because I know you're, you've are you got a lot more information. You know, Don and I have been railing about NIL now for months. There's so much about it that it's really aggravating me. The fact now that we've got the number one prospect in for next year's NFL draft 
basically, you know, being able to brag about he's going to make more money being a college kid at USC than he'll make being a, a rookie quarterback in the NFL, shaking the foundation of us old traditionalists to the absolute core. Obviously, the same kind of money isn't being thrown around in softball, but a lot of money is being thrown around in softball, too. So what are some of the things uh, on the on the forefront with NIL? What's some of the things that are being talked about? You mentioned a national standard. Um, what are some other things that you're hearing that uh, we should be paying attention to? Well, that's definitely the leader of the pack. You're talking about right now there's congressional hearings about that possibility and in, in, in the Senate and things like that. And if that if and when possibly that happens, that's obviously going to fundamentally change everything from the top down. Um, I I do think I don't think the phrasing of, hey, you know, some D2s and D3s are just going to be done with athletic versus have athletes as employees. I don't think that's hyperbole. So that that's that's the starter piece. And, and that kind of thing, if such a classification where student athletes become employees, even in some small part, comes around, which I think is likely at this point at least, that's going to trickle down more, more than most things. We're going to see those effects more in sports like softball at levels like mid-majors and D2s and D3 right. and else. So that that's something definitely that's going to that's going to lead the pack until there's a resolution and an answer and a response to it. Outside of that, yeah, softball actually does have some good NIL presence. We've seen some, you know, what I team-wide deals where just some some schools, some programs are just picking up a sponsor who puts some money in every player on the roster type of deal. We've seen some players being able to capitalize in softball on their NIL in a way they can't even do at the professional level. Right. So, you know, NIL definitely is having its effects in softball. I, I, at this point, I do believe it's actually having some positive effects. It's having the negative effects, too, because just as in any other major sport, people are able to use NIL as a recruiting tool, which right. is illegal, which you're not supposed to do, which you're not allowed to do. But it's that old adage of if a tree falls in the forest and nobody heard it, did it make a sound? Right. It's that same principle. If there's no quote unquote proof, well, then how do you know? You know, people aren't putting pen to paper, things like that. It's having a positive effect in some senses and a very negative effect in other senses. Um, but we're we're definitely seeing the effects of NIL and softball. And I think we really will see those effects if and when that federal standard or however it ends up being phrased and done with comes around. I think we'll definitely start seeing the effects in softball and sports like us more than anything else. Right. Well, because I think the biggest thing right now is there's clearly some schools that are doing way more with NIL, doing way more to help support their athletes, to find them deals, to help them make you know that extra income. And I'm all for the players making the money. To me, that's not the issue at all. But you know, you touched on the you know the recruiting aspect of it. You know the you know the reality of it is if if you're a player in the transfer portal and you want to go to a school but they can't give you a scholarship, but they can give you an NIL deal. I mean, it doesn't matter to you where the money comes from, you know, as long as the money's there. And to me, it's that kind of fundamental change where a, a, you know school X might really have 20 scholarships worth of scholarship players because 12 of them are getting scholarships and eight more are getting NIL deals. That's the, the area that I think needs to be cleaned up. And maybe some of this uh, legislation will help with that. To me, I, I just did, you know, now we just had a recent announcement here in the state of Georgia that high school kids can now have NIL opportunities. And again, I don't think this will affect softball quite so much, but I can picture uh, some eighth grade football player who's 6'3 and 225 or 230 is going to miraculously now get a NIL deal from 
a car dealership or a roofing company or something in uh, in Florida or Oklahoma or UCLA neighborhoods and things like that. Just you know, start to influence them to pick the right, the quote unquote right school from the from the NIL perspective. So it's just a, a total game changer to me, and and again, something I'm I'm curious to see how much more impact it's going to have moving forward. So, all right, Justin. So the next one is, uh, you know, we, I mentioned the transfer portal. Been some craziness. We we talked about uh, Jordy Ball and, and and her whole story back when that broke. But there's obviously been some residual uh, uh, transfers and some some things that have happened since then. Let's just not beat around the bush. So, does Oklahoma have some sort of magic pixie dust that everybody wants to play there, or what's exactly going on? Well. Obviously, the easy answer is when you've won three national titles in a row, everybody wants a chance at a guaranteed fourth in a row. Like Everybody wants as good of a guaranteed shot at a ring as they're going to get. That's the easy answer. At the, at the same time, I think this year, Oklahoma, I think they needed some help. What they graduated and what they have graduating this year, I think they needed some added depth. And I think, honestly, Patty Gasso had to go into the portal and see who she could get. Now, does Oklahoma have some magic pixie dust? Anything's possible. Right. I mean, we, you know, we, we've all seen Peter Pan here. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I do think the fact that when you're that many national titles in a row, when you still have the core of your offense returning, but also when you have that fan base, when you have that support and whether, I mean, when you have that potential for the things like the NIL deals, like we've been talking about, whether it's you know just something once you get there you know what you have in store whether it's something else at the end of the day Oklahoma has better support than any other softball program in the country right I mean say from a crowd perspective from a financial perspective and honestly how many schools do you see that equate their softball program with their football program from a collective from an NIL standpoint that just doesn't happen right no that's the, they they definitely have all the ducks in a row when it comes to supporting that program. Just think that's all been happening with them having just another stadium for all these years. What's going to happen now when they've got the greatest stadium that the, the, the sport of softball's ever seen? And I guess the good news is there's an awful lot of other, other schools in the SEC that are going to see that and have to up their game again to a whole nother level. So uh, so maybe there is some, uh, some trickle down from that. No, there absolutely is. I mean, anytime we've seen major renovations to a stadium, I mean, just take Texas A&M and what they did with Davis Diamond. And we've seen some trickle down from that and improvements at other facilities. And even now we're starting to see trickle down at you know, the mid-major level. You know, there's three or four mid-majors this year that have picked up big video boards or have added things to their stadiums to try to just to, just to improve their facilities. So the schools are going to put money there. You know, I even think of a Wofford College in, you know, in uh, Spartanburg starting their program anew. And you look at the facility Wofford's built it's a beautiful facility. It's well done in some different aspects that not every stadium is. But then they also added things like technology yeah. that you don't see necessarily at a, at a you know a SoCon school starting a program. But I think that's a trick, part of that trickle down effect from the investments other schools have seen. So yeah, absolutely, Oklahoma and Love's Field. There's going to be some trickle down for that. And you're right, it's going to start in the SEC because there's got to be a lot of keeping up with the Joneses. Yeah, well, to, to me. Anything that pushes schools to invest more in softball is always an exciting thing, um, but it will always keep coming back to the haves versus the have-nots argument that we've talked about so many times in the past, where you know a school like Florida or or somebody like that might have the the money to renovate yet again to try to keep up, whereas 
you know, the, the, the line between the, the major leaguers and the triple A's are, are I think, growing uh, wider and wider. But I, I didn't mean to get off the uh, transfer thing so quickly. So who are the the kids that are going to make the biggest impact? Obviously, everybody's thinking Kelly Maxwell for sure is going to um, give Oklahoma that leg up again on, on back to the national championship. Obviously, Jordy Ball is going to make a huge impact at Nebraska. But who are some of the other kids that have moved that you're expecting big things from in their new homes? Well, Jordy Ball obviously tops the list. Um, I actually have Kelly Maxwell a little further down the list. I, I like Elena Balder going to South Carolina. Yeah. I think that's an absolute game changer for the Gamecocks. You know, that, that's a South Carolina program that one place they've struggled is to really have a true ace. Yeah. I mean, the first one that comes to mind that was the last one close to that was Nikki Blue. And that's been a few years at this point since she yeah. played. So that, that's an absolute game changer for South Carolina. She's part of a bigger transfer class. They've got three or four, I believe. But Valder coming in, you know, you think about it, think about what she did against Florida in the regional even. And she was so consistent for you know, so many years at Stanford. She goes to the World Series. She's got that experience. She's a steady Eddie in the circle. And that's that's a major piece that South Carolina has been missing to be to be able to get back to where they were as recently as 2018, and that was hosting a regional and super regional. Not necessarily saying South Carolina is going to be there this year, but Vauder is the piece that puts them in the best position they've been in since then. Right. Um, I also look at somebody like Taryn Kern going to Stanford. You know, when we saw him in the World Series, let's just be honest here, and apologies to the OU fans who are listening, but if Stanford gets their offense going even a little bit, Oklahoma is not the national champion because Stanford has beaten them at least once, probably twice. Right. All Stanford was missing was some offense. Now you bring in Taryn Kern, who just walked in and took over the Big Ten as a freshman at Indiana last year. That's a huge piece to me because you not only get Kern in your lineup if you're Stanford, but now you have somebody that can make the other hitters around her better just by her presence. Because now these hitters, because you think about it, when Stanford had offense last year, they took a couple of Oklahoma pitches deep and things like that. All you have now is you have Kern in there, who's going to be the one everybody highlights. But if Kern's hitting in the three hole, well, hitters in the two and the four are going to get better pitches to hit because somebody doesn't want Kern to hit them. And all of a sudden, Stanford's offense gets a leg up, even if Kern walks every at bat. Right. So I think that's a huge piece there, too. And again, similar to South Carolina, it's one of those pieces that Stanford was just missing. Now that they have her, things can be really interesting. Yeah, no, I think uh, she, she's a very impactful player. It also looks like Georgia's picked up a few good kids. Uh, a couple other schools, um, you know, have also been maybe not super active, but have picked up a couple. I know Tennessee's picked up a couple of kids. So looking at schools that had strong teams last year, it looks like maybe a very selective addition through uh, the the transfer portal. Maybe trying to fill a very specific need instead of maybe uh, uh, you know just stockpiling really good players. No, absolutely. I mean, you look at. You mentioned Georgia. You add Lily Backus from North Carolina. That's a pitcher who improved her ERA something like three runs from freshman to sophomore year. She's a Georgia girl, so she can combine now with Walters and Kerpix. And then you add Sarah Gordon from Louisville, who's just this young, just hot shot of a player. Did so well at Louisville this year. You didn't go out and get a big class of a bunch of kids, but you added a pitcher like Backus who can come in and combine with the pitchers you already have for a really even staff. And you add a Gordon who just absolutely steps right into the lineup and makes a huge difference and upgrades you at whatever position she plays. You mentioned a Tennessee. You add, for instance, Laura Mueller from Middle Tennessee who just hit missiles 
yeah. at MTSU last year got them to the Conference USA Championship and a regional final in Alabama. Huge addition. Makes that offense a step up from you know, what they lost. You add Miller versus just adding a bunch of freshmen. That's a huge deal. Uh, and then even mentioned Arkansas. You know, that's an Arkansas team that had two SEC championships in a row. Then this past year, struggled a little bit, missed on a Super Regional, lost their regional at home. So all they do is they go out and get the, the leading hitter in the Big Ten, Ania Carter from Iowa, and they get Bree Ellis, a former SEC freshman in the year, from Auburn. Right. So all of a sudden, that offense, which still had some good pieces, now has two major pieces. And they went out and got a couple of pitchers that if Courtney Dykel can, what I call, can Shanice one of them. You look at what she did with Shanice Dells, I use her as a verb now. Right. If Dykel can Shanice one of those pitchers, you're talking about an Arkansas team that's as strong as they were in 2022. Yeah. So just like you say, fitting those needs versus just going out and getting names to get names is a huge deal. It's a little more of a priority, it seems like, for these big teams now. But that priority could really pay off. Yeah, for sure. All right. I hope everybody enjoyed part one of that interview. Uh, we'll finish up our interview with Justin next week. Um, again, we're super excited to have uh, you know the opportunity to help spread the word about what Justin's doing. And if you have interest or, or want to know more about what's going on in the world of college softball, for sure. Uh, Justin's the the person for you to reach out to. So, and that's going to take us to our cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. And again, please make sure you take advantage of that EFP10 discount. It's a great way for you to save that additional 10%. And that also helps to support the podcast at the same time. So Don came across a really interesting article on social media the other day. And I thought it was definitely something worth talking about because the thing that struck me about it, we've talked about umpiring and how hard umpiring is, how the world has changed to the point now where uh, being an umpire or being an official in any kind of sport is a a questionable calling. You know, the uh, amount of abuse and, and harassment that, that, uh, officials are undertaking now it makes you wonder how many people want to do it but i think what this uh post definitely tells us is that we're headed for a serious serious problem when it comes to officials and we've talked in the past about how the numbers of people who are umpiring has dropped way off a lot of people try it they do it for a year and then they never go back to doing it well in 2017 the average age of sports officials across all sports was 53 years old okay six years later the average age across all sports is 57 years old so in a six-year period the average age has increased which means there's no young ones coming in right which is what i wanted to talk about and in softball what do you think the average age of all softball umpires is across the country i'm scared to know tori what what is it well not that much younger than me. It's 60 years old. No kidding. Is the average age. Now, just think about that for a second. So the age where we all start to think about retirement and 
looking at the end of our lives and, and closing the book and the final chapter and all that stuff, the average age of our umpires is that demographic. It's that group of people. And here's, again, why I think it's worth talking about, because it's all part of a bigger discussion that we've had many, many times about you know the level of stupidity and dumbness and stuff that's going on in the world. We've got to do something to change this trend. If we can't get more young people involved in umpiring, I don't know for sure what the future holds, because just looking at me personally, in this last couple of years, I've gone from being somebody that I think if I wanted to umpire, I could have done you know six games in a day, and I would have been tired and sore at the end of it, but I would have been able to do it. Sure. Well, now at 63, guess what? There's no way I could do it. Not feeling it. No, I, there, there's no way. If I, if I wanted to do something for a part-time, part-time job, go out and, and, and give back to the game a little bit, I mean, I might be able to do a game or two, but my body's just not up for it. You know, the, the, the heart attacks and everything else have put me in a whole different space where, you know, how much of this can I do or would I be willing to do if I, if, yeah, I, if, I, if I was doing it? And so, and there's initiatives, there's things that are being done now to try to encourage younger people to get in. You know, you see a lot of uh, programs where umpire associations are recruiting younger people to bring them in. I've even noticed something that I've seen on uh, social media where different sports are doing different things to identify s- certain umpires as being beginners or being, you know, younger. Sure. In soccer, I know they're, they give them a different color whistle and a different color lanyard, you know, like uh, something that really stands out when they're out on the field. So that saying you know, the, go easy on yeah, us. so the fans can look at it and say, okay, they we've got a brand new referee today, and they're clearly under eighteen because look, they've got the blaze orange whistle. Yeah, and you know, doing those kinds of things to try to encourage people to go easier on the younger, newer officials. It seems weird to even say that, right? It's right. like go easy on the umpire. That's yeah. just not right. Yeah, that that we have to identify <laughs> them so that people are less jerky to them. I guess is the problem. And so, but I wanted us to talk about this a little bit today because I think we're headed for a real problem, and I don't have an answer because the one thing I can tell you for sure, the amount of jerky behavior and the numbers of people that are just totally off the rails and out of control when it comes to their kids and their sports. I and mean, we're talking about 10 u softball. Right. Yeah. You know, the, the, you don't have to look very hard at all on YouTube or any of the social media platforms to find fist fights at the eight and under soccer game and umpires getting beaten up at the 10 and under softball game. And the coach the other day was on, was on social media, an AAU basketball coach that got shot because the dad didn't think that his son had played enough in a game. And I know these are all extreme examples, but, but they're less extreme than we think because if they were extreme, they'd be really hard to find. Right. You'd have to really go looking. And if you go umpire abuse or, you know. Three um, years you know, ago at this place over right, here. Yeah. yeah. No. It's, and, and now it's, if you look today, you'll find something from last weekend. Right. And, you know, that's the thing that I think is so crazy about it. And so. You know, we keep talking about people we need to do better. We've got to start treating people like we want to be treated. We've got to start doing all this stuff. But the biggest thing is, if we don't make some changes, we're not going to have umpires. Because clearly what these numbers are telling us is that the young umpires are not coming in. The same umpires that were thick-skinned and strong-willed enough to do it five years ago are still doing it now, but they're five years older. Well, and you know, all the people we're talking about that are tough on the umpires is 
What what would it be like if your son or daughter was behind the plate umpiring? How would you want people to treat them? You know, would you want them to be hollered and yelled and all kinds of terrible things at, or would you like people to be reasonable? And I think the answer is obvious, but again, that's just sad that we're at a place where we have to even talk about it. Right. So, but I, I wanted us to th- throw that out there for discussion because we, we've got to start to stem stem this tide. We've got to make some changes so that we can start to get control of what's going on, or we're headed for a really problematic thing. We're already in a, in a really bad spot because we have such an umpire shortage. We're playing so many games that more and more tournaments now are forced to use only one umpire for a game. And then obviously that just increases that many more opportunities for people to be mad because one umpire behind home plate can't make a call on a really close slide at second base. It's just not who's, who's missing a base when they're running. Right. You know, all, all those different kinds of things. They have tagging up and all those different things. So, you know, to me, we've got to figure out a way to, you know, rein each other in, you know, to make sure that that we start policing ourselves and policing our teams and our, our fans more. Don't be the parent that, you know, that piles on instead be the calming agent that tries to settle things down a little bit once in a while. And all that stuff I think would go a long way. No, I think it's important, Tori. And again, we're it's interesting to watch it all unfold, but yeah. we we need to change the right. change the direction. When I think the thing that just kind of really sums up how crazy things have gotten is that we're identifying young uh, young umpires and young soccer officials so that people don't go crazy on them. When in reality, we shouldn't be going crazy on any of them. No, again, it's a right. game. Yeah. So well. It's supposed to be. All right, so Don, that's going to take us to this week's Action Coach Coaching Tip of the Week, where Coach John's going to talk to us about price increases and how that affects the business world and the softball world at the same time. Hey, Coach John Davis here. I talk about annual price increases. This is the time of year when a business owner needs to think about what they're going to do for pricing next year. Sometimes you have 30, 60, even 90-day notifications necessary to get price adjustments into play with your contracts. So first thing to think about is, is a price increase necessary? If your costs are going up, certainly it's necessary. You have to look at that or look at how to get your costs down. Second is, is it reasonable to take a price increase? Is it necessary? What will your customers in your market think? If you have a strong market and competitive situation, if you have a strong brand position, certainly you can do that. If you don't, then you need to think about obviously how to get in that strong position, but it may be harder to implement a price increase. Some other things to think about. Do you need the volume? Is your business low and you need volume or do you need capacity? If somebody's at full capacity, you may want to take a higher than normal price increase because in doing so, you can create capacity for more higher price, higher revenue, higher margin business. So it just depends on your situation, what it is you're trying to do with other dynamics. If you're bringing more team on board already, you want to make sure you you use that capacity. If you've lost some capacity, you want to uh, you may want to take that price increase. It just depends on the situation. Other things to think about: Are you going to do a flat percentage, two percent, three percent, five percent, ten percent, twenty percent, or are you going to do a flat dollar amount? Depends on your product and your service. Or are you going to change that increase by product or customer? You may take some high-volume customers or high-volume products and just do a very small increase, keep inching it up because a small percentage on a big number is still going to give a return. 
and you may want to take a, a higher increase on different products. Also, you want to understand what's going on in your market and, and the prices. You want to know what your competitors are doing or anticipate what they've done, take what they've done in the past to anticipate the future. And if you do a percentage increase, I always encourage everybody to look at what that does to the dollar figure. If you're doing a percentage increase and it ends up to some odd pennies type price, work in some rounding. You can do that very easily in an Excel spreadsheet. Also pay attention to, you know, the, the pricing on the nines. People, people chuckle at it. People know what's going on if something's priced $39 versus $40, but it still has a psychological impact on the customer. So it does make sense to price things below a round number. So those are some things to think about when you're doing your price increases. Now's the time to do it. If you're wondering how to implement a price increase and the risk, we have a great calculator for payback and break even on whether you choose to do discounting or price increases. If you reach out to me, I can share that with you and we can have a quick discussion about your business. So this is John Davis. I work with business owners looking to grow their profits in a variety of ways through their, their pricing, their strategy, through their marketing, through their performance with team, team, and then, of course, looking on the time management so the business owner can enjoy their business. If you have any questions, give me a call. Number is 817-538-8864. And if we end up working together, any business that we transact is going to lead to a donation to Fast Pitch Prep and the Fast Pitch Prep podcast. It's John Davis. Now's a great time to get into action. So now that's going to wrap up number 290. Please make sure you support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Bidinger and Styles DDS, Elite Sporting Goods, Pinnacle Power Products, and Action Coach. If you're in a position where you can, please become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. Go to the fastpitchprep.com website, order your Square Cuts training discs, check out the YouTube channel, and also the blog posts. There's tons and tons of information readily available for you there. Also, we want to make sure that you contact us with questions, comments, ideas, and Player of the Week nominations at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. So for Coach Don McKinley, our producer Stan Lewis, this is Coach Tory saying thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.